Welcome to Blackpool Joy Podcast with me, Ainsley. I'm back again after a much longer than anticipated hiatus. For those of you who listened to the podcast in the past, it was one I did with my good friend Kieran. We did it for about two years or so and decided to take a hiatus in December of 2021 just to get our creative duties flowing, get some rest, some recuperation and come back a bit stronger. Since then, a lot has changed. Blackpool Joy Podcast is now a solo venture. Uh, Kieran and I just decided it'd be best if I kind of took up the mantle by myself from here on in. You know, there's nothing to say that Kieran can't come back again, or there might be scope for the twosome to return, but for now, it's going to be just me for the foreseeable future. All this, of course, means that Blackboard Joy Podcast is going to look and sound different than it did. I'm planning lots of new content, more guests, some reoccurring guests, some people you may have seen before, some friends of mine, all with the aim of just keeping the content as fresh as possible, facilitating great conversations and just having a laugh as we always did. Now with that said, today is Thursday the 1st of December, which is World Days Day for those who didn't know. And to mark the occasion I talked to Gary Jones. Gary is an artist and gay and HIV activist based in Birmingham. And he joined me to talk about the red ribbons that the six metre high sculpture that he designed to be unveiled in Birmingham's Hippodon Square in the heart of the gay village to memorialise those affected by HIV and AIDS. Welcome to that Broadway podcast, Gary. Thank you, Ainsley. Nice to be talking to you. Oh, of course, of course. We've been uh, like we've been like emailing and texting like back and forth. So like it's really good to like, put a, like a name to a face and vice versa. That's great. It's really good. It's it's great to give the, for you to give me this opportunity to talk about it and spread the word. So yeah, it's always good to talk. Um, before we get started, I I like to start by asking if there's one thing that makes you feel joyful. One thing that actually doing this and getting this out there and um, yeah, just spreading the word and you know I'm ecstatic of how quickly and uh, the support that we've got from this in such a short time it's less than two years and it's just I'm beaming all over my face I probably don't sound it but I am there's so much going on at the moment so my head's all over the place but it's in a good way not in a bad way so that's really really good yeah yeah so I first came across the memorial I think on social media on Facebook on Twitter I saw some like um, local sort of like local articles about it and I don't think I've, I've come across like a memorial like that in Birmingham. No, there's um, there's nothing like this at all. And I think it will be the biggest piece of public art in Birmingham as well when it's when it's when it's completed. I think everybody's going to have a really big surprise when they see how tall it is. I mean, it's six point five meters tall, which is the average apex of a house. So it is very very big. Okay, that's amazing. And so it's called, the the memorial is called The Ribbons. And you say you've been working on it for around two years now, is that that correct? So how it came about is um, I was watching It's a Sin back in Mm -hmm. January 2001. And um, I work as a freelance artist doing lots of carnival work, murals, all sorts of, you know, events, carnivals, work on Birmingham Pride, I work on... Um, St. Patrick's Day, um, Afro-Caribbean carnivals, all that sort of stuff. Well, obviously that all stopped because of COVID. 
all my work in school stopped. So I basically got nothing to do. So it was driving me insane. I went back to my first love of painting and stuff, but then watching It's a Sin on television, um, that was set in 1981 when I was 21. So I'm 62 now. And it just took me back and it was so realistic of how it was then and how horrible it was to be a young gay man then. Um, and particularly because back then you were only legal to be gay when you were 21. And that needs supposedly needs to be in the comfort of your own home just between two mm -hmm. people. So it's still illegal to go to clubs and everything and all of that. So there was so there was that element of it. So um, I was just sort of coming out and being free to be who I was. But then you started hearing these little rumours of this horrible disease that was killing people, or particularly gay people, in America. And then it sort of grew and grew um, about that. But luckily, I was in um, a stable relationship, um, a monogamous relationship, and probably wouldn't have been monogamous if HIV hadn't have been, you know, and AIDS, as we called it more then, um, was, you know, was in the public realm. But we, basically, the, the gay community was blamed for it, almost. Mm -hmm. And we were made to feel bad and, you know, weren't treated in a good way. It was Margaret Thatcher and mm -hmm. uh, Ronald Reagan were president and prime minister. And they just didn't care. They just put no money into it all these people thousands of people were dying and you know I knew people who died within weeks of contracting it so it was a really really horrible time so that took me back and brought back all those memories of friends I lost people who had no dignity in their final mm -hmm. days of life um they had no funerals they had nothing you know I know people that you know, they ha had to basically bribe crematoriums, bribe funeral undertakers, undertakers. They couldn't get coffins. They just had body bags. You know, it was as awful as that. You know, people in hospital were so weak to get out of their beds that they couldn't get the food that was left outside. So it was it was one of the bleakest and horriblest times I've, you know, witnessed. And, and obviously heard from lots more people through doing this how bad it was. So I've been actively involved in World AIDS Day since 2008. I first became diagnosed with HIV in 2006. And um, I just wanted to do something to make life easier for people. And, you know, I'm lucky to have lived through that first pandemic, you know, um, and to, you know, unfortunately I caught it later, but fortunately for me, um, I was able to go on antiretroviral treatment almost immediately. And I knew that I wasn't going to die. So all sorts of the, so everything that was going on in my head, to say back in 2008, I tried to get a memorial sorted in Birmingham and it never happened because, you know, everybody was all their money, like even today, you know, charities are shouting out for money. So, and, you know, hospitals are short of money. So they just put their money into treating people. So mm -hmm. it didn't happen then. So you mentioned it being lockdown. That kind of is that kind of like when I don't know. You mentioned like being locked down. You tried before. It didn't work. It didn't work that time. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I think lockdown and the similarities of it, although this was it in the general public, back in the day then it wasn't seen to be, you know, any virus can catch anybody. They don't care who they infect, mm -hmm. you know what mm -hmm. I mean? But it was mm -hmm. a blank, you know, or everybody, you know, from the government, you know, down, Boris Johnson went on and said, well, we must lock down, we mustn't mix, we mustn't do this, we mustn't do the other. Back in 19, in the mid 80s, there was this big tombstone advert and said AIDS is going to kill us all. And that's basically yes. what happened. And that's yes. the last piece of education we had. Mm -hmm. So actually, my actual HIV doctor became very poorly with COVID. Um, mm -hmm. And is Dr. Steve Taylor and is very, you know, well known in the HIV community and does a lot of research and all sorts of stuff. Um, and he became very, very poorly. Um, and he sort of put out um, stuff on Twitter and different things and, and sort of comparing the two and mm -hmm. saying the difference in how gay people were treated then and all people, not just gay people, but anybody living with HIV was treated then and now they're treated now with COVID and it was completely different. Mm -hmm. you know? All right, you were isolated and couldn't see people and all of that, but they cared for you. They didn't yeah. care for you. Then. so that was the, so that was the difference then and I suppose I was sort of comparing the two in my head and I thought right I'm 62 now that's 40 years ago if somebody like me doesn't do anything about this those people who have gone all those years ago will never be remembered so you know so so we back in 2008 in Birmingham sort of separated different things for World AIDS Day. We came up with the idea that we should remember, we mm -hmm. should celebrate people living with HIV, you know, mm -hmm. untreated. And fortunately for me, I live in a country where we are given treatment, you know, mm -hmm. in other countries it isn't even in America, you know, people are still dying in Africa and poorer countries, they're still dying, you know, because they haven't got the treatment. So we celebrate that we're living with it, but also there's the big thing of education. Yeah. So so it's it's those three things combined and the ribbon um design um mm -hmm. use that i chose or came up with um comes back to 2008 when we sort of put a tag name against world aids day in birmingham because we wanted to go out and talk about it but people closed the doors as soon as you mentioned the word aids nobody wanted to know mm -hmm. so we positively red playing on the word positive because it's a very negative thing and red obviously for the ribbon and then mm -hmm. all was that put a little kink in the top of the ribbon so it became a heart shape mm -hmm. so that represented Birmingham as the heart of England but also love and compassion that quite often people with HIV didn't receive so mm -hmm. that's how the ribbons concept came about so right I see yes yeah. And so with the ribbon concept, you just like you just explained it there. So if you're going to like um like if I was to look at it, obviously it's a it's a one for the listeners. If I were to look at it, like how would it look like? Um yeah, well it's very tall, um, and it's on a base that's three meters square, and it stands yeah. six point five meters tall, and there's two ribbons that are intertwined, so it almost looks like two figures hugging each other mm -hmm. uh, from a distance but one of the ribbons is red painted mm -hmm. red and one of them is rusting a bit like the angel of the north people i think most people know the angel of the north so it's so it's a special metal called cortex that actually rusts but it doesn't rot away 
So okay. when it the elements, it, it looks like it's rusting. So they sort of, so I can read the concept out to you. So I'll, I'll read it out to you. So the heart-shaped red ribbons represent two figures entwined as if embracing and supporting each other. They, resent, they represent the dual identities of HIV and AIDS. They, the past and the future, they symbolize remembrance of those we have lost to AIDS while also celebrating those living with HIV now. Standing unashamedly torn, the six metre high sculpture was standing in the middle of Birmingham city centre near Birmingham Hippodrome. The sculpture will also serve as a reminder of the work that still needs to be done to educate and end stigma and discrimination. So that's the basic concept of it. So people can see it for how they want. So one, it's, so it's like the past, the future, you know, it's like, you know, the decay of, you know, the rust, which is sort of represents age, you might say, but the brightness of the future, you know, for people living with it if they're on treatment. So you're the designer of the ribbons. Yeah. So once you'd like come up with a concept, I assume there would have been like some sketches, some consultation. Like how did you actually go about like having it made? So what I, so what I did, I mean, they're saying this was all off my own back on my own with nobody else mm -hmm. at all. I just basically put it out on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, and then within three or four days, I put it onto, there's a, there's a, one of the pages is called um, Old Gay Broom Remembered. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of people who are like me who have been on the scene for, you know, 20, 30 years or more. So I put mm -hmm. it onto that and then I put it onto the general Facebook. And within a few, few days, we've got 600 people saying, yes, we need to do something. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think the majority of them had watched It's a Sin as well. So it's people of all ages. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I don't know, it's almost like the stars aligned, as you know, you might say, because then a, a woman who I know who's called Julia Robinson, she is sort of in charge of looking after the area of Birmingham City Centre, which is the Chinese Quarter, the Theatre Quarter and the Gay Village. Mm -hmm. She actually knew a, a guy who's a sculptor who's, who's um, Black Country based and Cradley Heath, for those of you who are around Birmingham, but it's in yeah. the Black Country. <laughs> yeah. And he went to the same university as I did, um, and his name's Luke Perry, and he makes sculptures um, for forgotten groups and organisations. So he's, recently he's done one um, for Sikhs who fought in the Second World War. Um, mm -hmm. He's done one for... He's done one for Dudley Zoo recently. It's where orangutans, you know, because they're mm -hmm. an endangered species. So every all his work ethic is to do with forgotten groups or troubled things. He's done one for suffragettes and all sorts of things, all sorts of history. And and he's doing one in Birmingham now about the for Black History Month as well, sort of based on the Windrush as well. Mm -hmm. So he does all these sort of things like that. And um, so Julia can got me in contact with him. I spoke to him, took in my little sketches and my little paper figures that I'd made. And he said, I actually love it. So from then on, we haven't got a penny to our names then. And then two mm -hmm. of the people got on board who I've known for a long time. One was called Andy King and he runs a pub in the gay village called The Fox. Mm -hmm. And another guy called Phil Oldershaw, who used to be the general manager at 
the Nightingale. And I've known both of them for about 25 years. We've been involved in Pride and all sorts of things. And basically between the three of us and knowing people, we just put it out there. I, I contacted my HRV doctor, Steve Taylor, who runs um, a charity called Saving Lives, which is mm -hmm. trying to get people to get tested and ask them if they would be our charity that we could link onto so we could apply for money. So mm -hmm. we applied for money through the Arts Council and other different things, and we're fortunate we got another guy involved, Steve Ball, who then became our um, fund writer and bid writer, and then he wrote letters to businesses and all sorts of things. So we've had money from pharmaceutical companies. We've had money from building work that's gone around in Birmingham city centre. We've had donations and people put um, the, the Nightingale Club, although it was closed, put a big night on as a podcast, not as a podcast, as a, um, a web web event and then people donate mm -hmm. money so like people like Ginny Lemon and Cheddar Gorgeous and all these mm -hmm. other black and all of them all performed on it free of charge and then people donated and that raised about seven or eight thousand pounds Birmingham mm -hmm. are giving us money in individuals and in like at Pride last year which was actually um when was that September in 2021 we only had got four thousand pounds we knew that we needed two hundred and twenty thousand pounds this year's pride we've got it all so in less than a year we raised two hundred and sixteen thousand pounds so mm -hmm. it's just been amazing it's just blown my mind you know how generous people have been yeah oh, that's fantastic and so i mean i am a birmingham native as we discussed before we started the podcast um, where exactly would it be like would it be housed the um the sculpture so the, so the actual memorial is going at the very top of Hearst street mm -hmm. uh, so it's sort of diagonal. so there's a square there now because it's all pedestrianized and eventually it was supposed to be pedestrianized and all ready for the commonwealth game but for reasons you know mm -hmm. who knows why it didn't happen but at the moment it's it's painted like a rainbow on the floor i don't know mm -hmm. if you've seen and so you've got Snobs, which is near Small but Queens, as it goes up mm -hmm. to the, and then you've got Mr. Egg famously on the corner, mm -hmm. and it's round there and opposite um, Glamorous. And and we chose that area as well because you know it's you know back in the day, yes, it was the gay community that were hit more than most. You know, you know a lot of mm -hmm. you know people of my generation aren't here anymore because of HIV and AIDS. And um, so Glamorous, which is a club now, used to be called the Windmill back then. And then it became what it Partners. And then just around the corner um, was the old Nightingale, which is now the backstage and the of the Hippodrome Theatre. Mm -hmm. Around the corner from that was the Jester Club. Jester mm -hmm. Club. So these were like the three old pubs where the people who who were gay and died would have frequented. So it just mm -hmm. seemed an obvious place to put it so that's yeah. right yeah. okay so that's why it's there okay fantastic and so now it seems as if we're getting into like the last stages so um i read that it's going to be unveiled on this year's world days day which of course is the first of december yes. um how like how is kind of like the last the last bits going like all the all the 
going really well. I said, like, as I said earlier, we were, we had a few hiccups because where they the, the, the city council actually said where we could put it, and mm-hmm. there was there was six different sites, and they drilled down into them and looked at maps to see where all the you know um, pipes like gas, electric, water, telephone, whatever else you know, um, internet wiring. Um, also, because of that area back in Victorian times was very much back-to-back houses. So there was lots of cellars underground. So they have to mm-hmm. look to see what's underground to see whether that also after that, after the back-to-backs were sort of demolished, sort of, I'm not sure whether it's pre-war or after the war, um, there was a lot of garages, that, like coach garages that mm-hmm. used to take people to the seaside for the weekend and stuff. So there was lots of empty petrol tanks underground and stuff so they have to look at all of this like you know surveyors and people from the council planning and everybody and all of that and then ironically after we'd done all this and they did the first hole they came across about six electric cables and then some mm-hmm. gas- so, so then we had to get more surveyors in and all of this but you know that wasn't our worry because they'd picked the site but it does it does scare you at one point absolutely at one point, we actually thought we weren't going to be able to have it in that area, and it would have had to go into a different area of Birmingham where it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been the same. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, actually, this afternoon I met up with Luke Perry, who's the the sculptor, and he was meeting the guy who's in charge of the city council who were putting the the, the installation in, and the actual um, memorial is being brought into Birmingham on Monday. Mm-hmm. At 9.30 and then there'll be big cranes on the back of a big lorry and stuff and then it will be lowered into place bolted in then more concrete will be put on top of that and then that will have to dry for a couple of weeks and mm-hmm. then they'll with the granite and the plaque so it should all be ready on the 1st of December mm-hmm. and then actually on the 1st of December um, it'll be 6 o'clock and there's going to be sort of an hour of entertainment and so we're making it quite a big event and we're we're inviting mm-hmm. as many communities as we can and you know there's a lot of people who are HIV positive for example I go to Heartlands Hospitals Clinic mm-hmm. over 3,000 people who are being treated at that clinic and living with HIV there's mm-hmm. only six of us who will speak about it openly mm-hmm. shows you what the stigma and everything's still like so um, we want this to be a beacon for them not to be afraid anymore. So, yeah. we're, so, we're, so, so we're using those three elements, the remembrance. So, you know, there'll be a silence, there'll be laying of a wreath, there'll be candle vigil and all of that. But then after that, there'll be the celebration part. So we're going to have a children's choir. We're having another choir singing. Um, there's a, a lion, a Chinese lion dance. So we involve the Chinese community. You know, we're trying to get everybody, you know, anybody and everybody, it doesn't matter what colour, what creed, what religion you are, you know, this mm-hmm. affects all. You know, it isn't a gay disease. It isn't a black African disease. You know, it, it's everybody in the world. You know, this can mm-hmm. get us all. And, you know, and the figures show that now that it's about 50-50 or even more so that the heterosexual community are catching it more than we are. And that's yeah. probably because gay men have grown up, you know, people of your generation, you've always known about it. So yeah. you're more likely to go and have a test for it than somebody in the 
heterosexual community. So you're mm -hmm. more. So we're trying to get rid of all these stigmas and all these prejudices and the shame from it. And so that's why it's going to be a celebratory event as well. And then mm -hmm. by talking to people like you, you know, we can educate people as well and stay, take away that fear, take away that shame, you know, because, yeah. you know, I'm not open now about it, but I wasn't for a very, very long time. It's this, yeah. is really, this has really empowered me to talk. And yeah. I you, only a month ago did I tell my own mum. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you mind me asking what that was like? Um, it was very, very nervy, and um, I knew I needed to tell her because she knows I've been involved in gay rights and all of this and everything, and I've been involved in World AIDS Day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've just said to her, like, I need to tell you. I mean, she's 88 years of age, and I've never, ever been ashamed of being HIV, but you're made to feel ashamed. You're made to feel all these horrible mm -hmm. things. So, and um, I never, ever, what I didn't want was her to worry about me. Mm hmm protecting her because of her ignorance and mm -hmm. one of the first people who you know public figures who became hiv positive was rock hudson who was a mm -hmm. very famous film star you know very handsome man you know he's on dynasty and then all the films with doris day and you know he's a hollywood heartthrob you know and he was her heartthrob back in the day so mm -hmm. I know from her ignorance, and when I say ignorance, is because you're not educated about it because it's not talked about. And I'm talking about HIV. She would still think back to then, and that mm -hmm. was my that I'm going to die every time I get a cold, every time I get a flu, every time I get this, that, and the other. And I just didn't want to worry them because there was nothing for them to worry about. Yeah. You know, you know, I take my tablets and I'm fine. You know, yeah. I've been, I haven't had COVID yet. You know, it's only family. Mm -hmm person in my family who hasn't had COVID and I don't know why that is you know that's a that's another that's a miracle as well to be part yeah. of and so I never ever wanted to worry my family it's never been about me feeling shameful so mm -hmm. when I explained it to him you equals you and you know and what the medication was and everything and I said look mum I've had this 16 years and you haven't known so you know I'm not this I'm no different she just told me off for not telling her basically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. angry and all about that, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that shows, but, you know, so many people like me live in secret and they're scared. Mm -hmm. yeah? And that, why should we be? It's just a virus mm -hmm. at the end of the day. You know, yeah. get like any other virus. I think it's just that it's, that most cases it's sexually transmitted, so there's always that taboo. And... um and, you know, and I always say to people, well, if nobody had unprotected sex, there wouldn't be anybody in the world, would there? Yeah, you know? true. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's a funny old illness, to be honest. Well, illness, virus, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, with the uh, HIV virus, I mean, me personally, I never take, you can never take any le any lecturing about any, from anyone, be that heterosexual or not, over like, um, over any kind of stigma. But you think yeah. of people who have unprotected sex and they contract HIV against all the, um, all the unplanned and unwanted pregnancies that people have because the same thing. It's the same, isn't it? And, and people don't get, you know, blamed for becoming pregnant or for getting yeah. syphilis or whatever else, do they? Do you know yeah. what I mean? There's no yeah. other illness where you're blamed for it, you know. Yeah. You, know, you might say, oh, you shouldn't have smoked so much if you've got cancer or whatever. But, you mm -hmm. know, there's no other illness where you're actually blamed and made to feel guilty like we are, 
you know yeah you know even if you if you remember you know watching it's a sin and that you know and i cried a lot of time watching it but i think mm -hmm. the main thing i cried about was when jill at the very end you know after the main character had died and she's speaking mm -hmm. to and she said there's all these guys dying in hospital who somehow feel it's their own fault yeah and i think yeah. that that that, is, that has always been that way that you mm -hmm. do you know i remember when i was diagnosed you know my head was all over the place and i was remembering people that i knew and they, they all died and stuff but i knew that i wasn't gonna die you know my head was like a fuzzy television you know when you put television and it's like well, yeah. it's, no, that's what yeah. my head but I thought, well, you know, this is stupid because you're not going to die. You can have tablets. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I knew all of that. Mm -hmm. But I think, well, it's your own fault. You did something wrong. You yeah. Know? Um, so, you, you you know, it's your own, you know, blame yourself. Then you get that yeah. self within that awful. And then you hear other people saying stuff. And, you know, and, you know, people like before I was with my partner, you know, you go on Grinder or Gaydar or whatever it was in the past. Mm -hmm. Or you meet somebody and they say, are oh, you clean? Mm -hmm. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, you know, I'm actually safer to have sex with somebody than somebody they don't know what their status is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the miracle of the HIV, you know, um, treatment now. You know that ironically, it's flipped the other way. Yeah, but, definitely. You know, I I do. You know, or I did in the past. You know, I don't sleep with other people now because I want my partner. But like before, I would always tell people. Mm -hmm. You know, as soon as you tell them, they don't want to know you. Yeah. You know, well, not everybody, but it's it, it yeah. is actually much better now, you know, for people. And, you know, and we're doing this quilt project, which where we're going out into colleges and universities, schools, all sorts of different groups. And we're just getting the word out there. And I've really seen a difference in the way that people react to us. The younger yeah. generation, so more, you know, oh, so what? You've got HIV, you know, big deal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's not such a taboo with them where it is with people of my age mm -hmm. so uh one thing that i've found quite interesting talking to you is that i think there's been kind of like three time periods that we've, that we've been talking about there's 1981 when yeah. you said you first came out which is like getting towards kind of like the height of the AIDS crisis yeah. there's 2008 when you said that you were diagnosed with the virus and yeah, there's now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And obviously, like, um, attitudes of the, the outlook from 1981 to 2008 was just very different. But yeah. still, you came from 2008 to now where you'd have just been diagnosed with it. Obviously, you know it wouldn't have been a death sentence because of the advent of antiretroviral drugs, which will keep it from being fatal. But there still is, as you mentioned, that huge stigma there that kind of makes people feel ashamed out of, out of being HIV positive. So I'm wondering since 2008 to now, like, like what did it take? Like, um, like what was it that kind of like made you want to be kind of like the face of this campaign or give you the motivation to be the face of this campaign and just to be like so out there and really kind of like inspiring, if I may yeah. say so about it? I, I think it's almost like back when, when I first came out, when I was sort of 17, it's very similar to that, you mm -hmm. know, like my brother was getting married, he's 21, he could have all these big parties, you know, an engagement party and a big wedding to celebrate his love. I couldn't. So I thought this ain't mm -hmm. fair, I do something about it. And I think because of the way that I've been treated and the way I've been secretive about it, and um, because, you know, back then you couldn't get mortgages, couldn't get insurance and all of this, 
I was just fed up seeing people who are, you know, not many people because they say people don't tell people they're HIV positive, but also mm-hmm. but the negative attitude about people. And I don't really know. I just, I just wanted to do something that would make a bit of difference. And I, and I never thought of it as a big campaign. It's like, I've always been very fortunate because I'm an artist to use my artistry in work for gay rights, you know, like being involved in Birmingham Pride for 25 years, you know, I was the mm-hmm. first to lead the parade with a rainbow flag, you know, and that mm-hmm. was terrifying. And if you look about, you know, even that then was like through the back streets, this council didn't want us to do it. We were booed and spat out and drinks were thrown at us. But now the whole city celebrates it. There was 8,000 people in the parade this year. And mm-hmm. I think it, almost, the two are very, so very, very similar. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want people to be treated differently for being gay then. And I don't want people treated differently for being HIV positive now. And if I can say something and do something to make it better for people, um, then that's a good thing. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, I'm a big gob and I'm an activist and I'll try and be quiet and not say anything. I can go to meetings or whatever and say, but I'm not going to say anything today, but I just can't. If somebody's injustice, I just hate injustice. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, whether you're gay, straight, black, white, green with yellow spots or whatever you know it doesn't mm-hmm. matter to people should be treated as humans mm-hmm. and that's right and you mentioned Birmingham Pride I have a confession to make that yeah. even though I'm from Birmingham I've actually never attended Birmingham Pride before isn't that yeah. crazy yeah. yeah I mean I'm from the you know the very early days I, I was at university doing I did a degree in theatre design and mm-hmm. I'd got a part-time job at the, the Nightingale, where it is now. Mm-hmm. And that's a very different club now to what it was then. You know, it's very mixed group. You know, you had your leather guys, you had your, you know, your trans, you had your mm-hmm. inets and all sorts of stuff. Now, it, it tends to be very much of a younger crowd now. And I think, you know, I think that's the sort of advent of, um, advance, I mean, in technologies, like people meet each other differently, don't they, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, but you didn't then. You had to go out, but and it's just it's your own little safe haven and stuff. Anyway, so I was there, and um, they knew that I was doing. I did a part-time bar job there to fund myself through university, and I got to meet Tilly, who's who's a drag queen, and mm-hmm. um, I wanted to do something for my final um, degree in 1997. Um, that sort of I don't know that that I knew Pride was happening. And so I designed his and made his costumes for the first Pride host on the stage. Mm-hmm. And in 2000, when the first parade happened, I ran the workshops for that. Mm-hmm. So I've always been involved in, in stuff. And, and I've, but I've been fortunate to be able to use my skills as an artist to promote different stuff. So that's, yeah. you know, I've been very lucky in that sense, you might say. Yeah. So I just wanted to say, so um, I haven't, so when I was in Birmingham, so I live in London now. Yeah. I've lived in London for about eight years or so. Um, I moved to London to do a university degree, um, that master's degree. And then I moved to London, I was still in the closet. So I didn't come out until I 
um, moved away from Birmingham. So I'd been in the city when it when it happened. I used to work for you know National Express, where the Digworth College yeah, Station yeah. is, and um, where every year whenever it was on, I'd have to work. So it'd be on a Saturday, and I could see the parade going down the going down the Digworth High Street. So I'd see it, but I'd never like participated in it. And, and did you want to? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, so. Um, this year, this Birmingham Pride, I really wanted to, to attend it, but I had like a conflicting thing in my schedule, which means I couldn't come down in time. And of course, like before that was the pandemic. So um, since I have come out and have been like much more open, then like that, like obviously one, the thing I want to do is to be a part of um, Birmingham Pride in some small way, even just as a reveler, so I can experience it in my hometown. It is. I mean, it, it, it's amazing how like, you know, that first year, and I can remember, and it was just a walking parade, and I don't, I don't know, there was only like a few hundred people in it, and as I say, this year, there was 8,000 people just actually in the parade, and mm -hmm. so we, um, by, we, they sent us around, we did actually start in Victoria Square, where it is, and then round to mm -hmm. the, and they sent us around the back streets, when, I think like Temple Street, or one of the, I can't remember the mm -hmm. name, but um, there's a pub called the Trocadier, on one of the side streets and we come down there where Tesco's is yeah and I came around that corner and I thought oh my god I'm gonna die mm -hmm. and, uh, and I, well going back a little bit so I, I was in my costume which was um, a big white and bright colorful costume and I was carrying a rainbow flag and I'd put it on a cane originally just on a and but somebody trod on it before we left the workshops Mm -hmm. So I needed something to put it on and I couldn't find anything. There was a broom laying on the floor. So I saw the handle off, stapled it to the broom. So I've got a broom handle. So thank goodness I had, because I come around this corner and there was a there was crowds of hundreds of men in football shirts, England football shirts, cheering on England in a match. And they were playing Sweden. Now I can't remember whether it was a World Cup or whether it was, you know, the... Mm -hmm. European Cups or something like that and I thought oh my god I'm going to die now because I knew mm -hmm. I'd got to walk in front of them so we know we didn't really have any security or anything so I was a bit like Luke Skywalker you know with his yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. to get through because I was you know really going whacking it from one side to the other so I had to move out of the way although I got hit on the head but they tried to pull the costumes off us and tried to spin and and you know like the difference in seeing that this year like everybody and there was like you know Families with their kids, you know, people of every colour again, every creed, you know, and all cheering us, and it, it's it's just unreal that the difference in the in the change in the twenty five years, and I, I absolutely love the parade. It's you know, it's I think it's the best thing about the you know pride. Um, I love pride, but it I think it sometimes it forgets its roots, and it's it just oh yes, it becomes a pop concert and nothing else. But but yeah. I think. I think the parade keeps it, you know, we all know, you know, like I've just heard of somebody not that long ago in Birmingham who's in hospital and now we've got gay bashed um, on, um, what's it, on Bristol Road, not far from the Wellington. And, you know, they don't know whether he's going to come out of it, whether he's, you know, he's going to be brain damaged and stuff. So, you know, there are gangs that come around Birmingham and, you know, wait for people coming out of clubs and, you know, and they beat them up, and it's and it's horrible. And people say mm. we don't need pride, we don't need this anymore. But as you and I know, look at the World Cup now. You know, mm -hmm. it's going exactly, exactly. 
we're treated as the same, if we're supposedly the same as gay people and everybody in this country is supposedly the same citizens, then why are we going to the World Cup to support it when a gay person going there could be beheaded? Mm -hmm. It's wrong in every way, shape or form, but that's, you know, that's another subject, but I won't be watching any of that football, that's for sure. Yeah, it is, it is true. I, um, I don't know. I, um, competition is supposed to be international, supposed to be tolerant. It does, it does beg a belief how a country that is known for its human rights abuses, anti-LGBT abuses, can, like, can be allowed to host it. But then it's money, isn't it? That's what all it is, it's money. You know, yeah. and, uh, Gareth Bale, what's it, he's going to wear a heart shape with a, with a ribbon. Mm -hmm. well, you know, what, if you're really against it, then don't play. Yeah, yeah. You, know? you don't need to play. You've got enough money to live your life, you know. And that's, you yeah. know, that's... That's pathetic in my, you know, in my view, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to, you know, back, back to when I was 17. I'm still fighting, yeah. you know. And I think we always will fight, to be honest. You know, it is, better. it is better, but it's, you mm -hmm. know, certain religions, certain faiths, certain, you know, customs in, you know, different countries and people, are, they're never going to believe in it, you know. And there's, you mm -hmm. know, the idea of it all and... You know, we could go on for hours, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but all we can do is do what we can do. And and if I can do something that helps people, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to do. So I don't so they don't experience some of the stuff I've done. I've never been gay bashed, touch wood, but I've had lots of abuse. I've had so much abuse for being HIV positive. I know I've lost work because of it. And if I can help people by doing this memorial and then it makes a difference, then I'll have done what I set out to do. Yeah. So um, you've made your living um, as an artist. Yeah. Um, like looking at your website, you said you were a carnival artist. Yeah. Which was um, which actually I found like quite interesting when I read it because I, um, you might guess like my experience as a carnival would be kind of like um, Notting Hill Carnival, for instance. Yeah, yeah. There actually used to be like quite a healthy carnival route, like carnival circuit across the UK. But when everyone thinks about it, they only think of the one in London when there were there ones in Bristol, ones in Leeds, ones in Derby, ones in Leicester. Yeah, they they used to be the big one in Hansworth Carnival. They did, yeah, they did. And then again, through funding, through you know, the first thing that always gets cut is the arts in anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and the irony at the beginning of this pandemic, when we we're all stuck at home, what mm -hmm. was on the television? Do crafts, do this. You know, you had, you had Grace and Perry on doing this thing. You had Percy, what's the name from the, you know, the thing, all showing oh. people mm -hmm. for wine stuff. You know, do some baking, do some cooking, make some handcrafts, do this, do that. Mm -hmm. You know, good for your health. So why do they cut it then every other time? You know, yeah. it's works of art, if you think about it, like this is, it's, mm -hmm. it's a work of art that is commemorating something, isn't it? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's what the poppies did when they had them at the Tower of London. You know, it's, yeah. you know, remember the war. It's it's art that always, it's divine, defines a culture, I always think, but it's the first mm -hmm. thing that always gets cut in budgets. And yeah. it defines who we are, I think. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. You know, and it's celebration, and what do we remember? You know, that probably some of your memories of a child is events that happen. 
you know, mm-hmm. I know when I work with kids doing their carnivals, like St. Patrick's or whether it was the Hansworth Carnival years ago. And luckily, we've got some of those people that I knew from that who were making, you know, some of the quilts for this project. Um, and I meet some of those people who are now grown adults with their own young children who says, oh, I remember you back in 1990, mm-hmm. whatever, we did a carnival. And they can... They can tell me exactly what they were wearing, what they were doing, how it made them feel. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the, all the other days. Yeah. In 96 or whatever year it was, but they remember that one particular day. And, you know, and that's really gratifying that you've given somebody that happy memory. Yeah. Well, carnivals, like, I have very, very happy memories. Uh, growing up, like, uh, my parents, my dad is specific, uh, in particular, was very cute, very a carnival enthusiast. We'd go to speed, you'd yeah. say. Um, so I remember. Sorry. Did you know Professor Black? From I didn't know him personally, but I did know. But I, everybody, yeah, everybody knows Professor Black. Yeah. So I mean, I suppose I was sort of cross cultures, you know, with mine because a lot of the work that we actually did with Pride and some of the carnival costumes, like doing the big carnival backpacks that you know about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we used to make them at Pride and use them in them and then sort of change them a bit and do it in hands with hands with playgroup. We used to do it with, you know, mm-hmm. they'd have a lorry with these massive speakers mm-hmm. standing behind it. You did have to dance because the, yeah. the vibrations moved you that much, you know. And the, I suppose the difference with, you know, what you might call an English carnival to the Afro-Caribbean carnival is as quite boring and somebody's standing on a lorry <laughs> where you've got the dance, you know, where the Afro-Caribbean carnivals have got the, the you know, the, all they use the lorries for is the massive speakers and a generator and then hundreds of people dancing behind, you know, and that's, yeah, and, you know, that opened my world to a different, you know, mm-hmm. and other traditions and stuff. So, you know, so, yeah, I've... I've I've got so many good memories of carnivals and stuff, you know, and and using it for a cause or not, you know, it's it's just been fun, and I'm very blessed to have had that in my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always have a, like I always have a special respect for people who can make a living off their art, whatever that is. So I mean, yeah, very tough, you know. I'm not mm-hmm. a rich man by any shapes or means, but it gets me by, and most days, you know, I look forward to what I'm doing, you know. I mean, we all have good days and bad days, but yeah, I'm very blessed to have been able to do what I love doing. And and it, and it does, you know, even people, you know, I, I go to workshops and it'll be people, oh I, oh, I don't know how to do this. And well, I said, well, when was the last time you did any art? You know, and it's probably mm-hmm. when I was at school or, you mm-hmm. know, and the kids saying, I said, well, you know, I may, I'm the facilitator for this. I'll show you how to do some simple stuff. So how you can make a costume, you know, if I can do it, you can do it, but you just obviously have never done it. So I'll show you an easier way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and it gives them confidence as well, you know, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. love, you know, they've made something and then they perform in it and then they're photographed or they're on television or whatever, and they love doing it. And, and I've mm-hmm. seen some of the shyest people who have said, well, I'm not wearing that. Oh, no, oh, God, no. And then, like, they become the character that they're in. And I think mm-hmm. I hear actors speaking about this as well. You know, I think I've heard even somebody like Dame Judi Dench say that how quiet she was as a young person. But when she puts her costume on 
and goes on stage, she's not her anymore. She is the character. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens in Carnival or whatever it is when people put something on there because they become that alter ego, don't they? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, and you can hide behind it, can't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and be somebody else almost. Mm -hmm. I hear that, definitely. So now that you're so close to kind of like D-Day, like installation starts on Monday, um, we're less than a month away from it now. Like, how are you feeling about that? Like, are you excited? Are you nervous? A bit of both. I think I'm more excited than nervous now. Now we know that the foundation's all laid and they've mm-hmm. tested it and that it, you know, that it, it's set enough because that was the thing that we were worried about because, like, it's a pool of water over the top of it. And um, so they had to test it yesterday and today. They had a site visit today and they've tested it that it's all set and it's all dry and everything. So we've got the go ahead to do it on Monday. So, you know, that's a massive relief that it's going to happen. You know, obviously, Mm -hmm. I'm excited that it's like like I said earlier, I can't actually believe it's sort of happening. I I don't think, you know, I've seen the memorial where it is, where it's been made and I've you know I haven't climbed you can't climb up it but I've been up on a cherry picker and gone to the top of it and out paint it and do different stuff like that but actually mm-hmm. when it's in situ and then it's being moved on a crane I think I'll um I think there'll be a few tears yeah but, of course but happy tears if you know what I mean and I think mm-hmm. after this happened from that little sketch that I did yeah on Facebook watching it's a sin on the 25th of January 2001 to the 14th of November 2022 it's it's like a miracle in lots of ways yeah you must be very proud I'm really proud yeah yeah really proud and um and you know like I only really thought of it as a Birmingham thing mm-hmm. until the Commonwealth Games and the Commonwealth Games the reason I'm saying this is um, Pride House, um, I don't know if you've heard of Pride House, but Pride House is an organisation that goes, I guess they won't be going to the World Cup, but they generally go to different um, large sporting events like the Olympics, Commonwealth mm-hmm. Games, World Cup and all of that. And they, they take over a space like a building and become a safe haven for LGBT people plus and their friends, mm-hmm. athletes and everybody. Mm-hmm. They actually brought some of the names quilts, you, you heard of the AIDS quilts, to Birmingham to show them as part mm-hmm. of their. Well, as part of this, we're making 40 quilts with schools and universities and stuff, basically telling the history of HIV through the quilts. And that's, part yeah. of an, that's part of an education project that we've been lucky enough to get arts council funding for. And then mm-hmm. they're going to be laid all over the city for the next three months after that. So I, they sent us a letter telling us and inviting us, telling us what they were doing. And I said, oh, you're showing the quilts. Oh, we're doing this quilt workshops. Can we do some quilt workshops with you? So we did. Um, they had an opening night to show the quilts the week of the Commonwealth Games. And a guy called Jonathan Blake, you may have heard of him. And mm-hmm. he's lived since 1982. So they came with him. Um, or he came to Birmingham and he's actually from Birmingham originally and he opened the exhibition and I'd done a, a speech about what we were doing like talking to you I'll talk to you about where the idea came from blah 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 and um, he was then invited to speak and open the exhibition 
and we've got a small scale model about half a meter tall and he kissed his hand and then kissed put it onto the memorial and started crying and couldn't speak mm -hmm. and, and it just said oh my god this means so much to him you know what and it just took it to another dimension and then he came over to me a few minutes later after he'd opened the exhibition and he said gary you have no idea what this is going to do to the hrv community you know from the past to the future and everything he said you know it's just blown me away what you're actually doing and then mm -hmm. a couple of days later um tom daly did the um silent protest with the flags with mm -hmm. seven different people from around the world who had done specific things and there's a guy called jason jones who's from trinidad and tobago and he actually i know i know jason know, jones personally yeah <laughs> So I hadn't met him, but I knew I saw him on the television, you know, with his distinctive hairstyle and stuff. Yeah. I was waiting with some other artists to show them on the Friday after he'd been doing his protest with his flag to go and see the exhibition, to take them to see it, because none of them had seen it before. And um, and he came up to me and I went up to him and Neil, who's in charge of Pride House, went to introduce us both and he'd been talking. And I went, oh, you were the, you're, you're the guy who was on the, you know, with with Tom Daly, with the flags. Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, and you're Gary who's doing the, the memorial. Mm -hmm. and he went, what you're doing is amazing, Gary. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is going to go global. And and, and like, so that was in two days of it. And I just thought, oh, my God, what have I done? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a lot bigger. And I don't just mean in the height, but than I ever, ever thought it would be. You yeah. know, see, next week we're coming down to Parliament to talk about it. Oh, amazing. So, um, you know, so it's it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We're being filmed on the on the one show and it's going to be on World AIDS Day. It's going to be um, live on television on Midlands today, which is the local news. Mm -hmm. um, trying to get it linked live on um, the one show as well. So, you know, as it gets nearer and nearer, it's sort of becoming bigger and bigger and bigger as, you know, as the, the media sort of cover is coming in. So I'm trying to keep calm, um, but, you know, inside my heart's going flutter, flutter, flutter. Yeah. Heart's beating a bit faster, you know, and like yeah. you're you know, you've heard of it, you know, and you've come to me to to talk about it, you know, and this is happening more and more as it gets nearer. So, but it, it yeah, it's just, I haven't got the words to, I mean, I've got lots of words if you just found out talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I haven't got the words to express my gratitude and thanks to all the people that have made this happen. Because, yeah, I started it, I'm that pebble, but without all those ripples, it wouldn't have happened. And, you know, I'll be forever eternal grateful to everybody who's had you know, whether they're given a pound from their pocket money, whether they're given 20,000 from a, you know, a company, mm -hmm. everybody matters with this. And that's what it's about, you know. And for me, just as a human being, we all want to be loved. We all want to be treated the same. And that's all it's ever been all my life. And that's what this is about. If I had to sum it up, you know, I want, I want people's lives to be easier by me doing this, what I've done. And I just yeah. Will help and it'll get people talking and mm -hmm. that's what we need to do you know it's it's been too long under the carpet that mm -hmm. carpet this when when luke said to me how big do you want the sculpture to be i said well how big can it be mm -hmm. you know well the biggest piece of metal 
is eight meters. I said, well, we'll have eight meters then. Mm -hmm. How much will that cost? I said, right, yeah. we'll write we'll do it somehow. You know, mm -hmm. and it has happened. Yeah. Miracles do happen. And sometimes one person can make a difference, but they only make a difference if everybody else follows them. And I've been yeah. some amazing people follow it and do amazing things to make it happen. Yeah, that's fantastic. So uh, just before we wrap up, is there like any other um, any other project, anything else on the horizon that you want our listeners to know about? Um, yeah, so well, we are doing this quilt project and basically with the quilt project, um, and for those people who don't know what it is, back in about 1985-86, somebody in um, San Francisco decided to do a quilt in the tradition of... Um, how they used to do quilts in the, in America, and that was very much like poor people using up fabrics to make blankets for their beds. You know, and you hear the Dolly Parton song or a coat of many colours that were made of rags. Mm -hmm. People used to do that, and it sort of um, somebody decided to do a quilt in remembrance of their partner, and that they decided to do them six foot by three foot because that's the size of the average grave. So mm -hmm. now there are hundreds of thousands of them in America. There are a few thousand here. And it's the biggest piece of community art in the world. And on their actual website, it tells you how to make a quilt. And I thought that rather we needed to do something, not because all we were basically doing was asking people for their money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the education bit, how can we educate people? Well, if we do this art project and get people to come together, go, invite colleges, schools, organisations, whatever, put an open invitation out to people and they work with an artist to make one. And we're trying to basically, because it was 40 years for the first diagnosis last year. So the idea was to make 40 quilts, sort of telling significant moments, some education, you know, when ART happened, when the, how did the Red Ribbon come about? You know, Princess Diana is well known for touching somebody the first time. Mm -hmm. We're trying mm -hmm. to put all these different elements in it. So some global information, some local information at different times. So that's one to look out for. And that's going to be displayed in Birmingham for three months afterwards in different places, in the library, in the Symphony Hall. Um, at the Rep Theatre and, and loads of other places. So, and then we're hoping that the legacy for that, that will move on and we'll be able to take that into schools in the future, mm -hmm. and colleges and wherever that people need educating. So yeah, people know about that. But the main thing that people need to do is if they think they're at risk or they've had, you know, a number of sexual, you know, partners or even just one sexual partner, they've had unprotected sex, get yourself tested because it is a life changer. And, you know, if you have got HIV and you don't know about it, it's slowly killing you, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it will kill you, but also you're passing it on to other people. If you have an HIV test, yes, you'll have to be on medication for the rest of your life, but you'll be able to have a, you know, relatively normal life, whatever normal is, you know, you'll be able to have children, you'll be able to have partners, you'll live a normal life. So yeah, get tested. It will change your life and it will save your life. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> and um, so like, where can we find out more? How can we, um, if you're on social media, how can we, how can we find you? We're on, we're on Twitter, um, Birmingham AIDS and HIV Memorial. Um, we've got our own website, which is bahm.co.uk. So it's, there's information on there where the actual event will be. 
Um, there's a Friends of Birmingham um, AIDS and HIV Memorial on Facebook. There's me, Gary Jones, if anybody wants to talk to me on Facebook and um, Gary Jones out on Instagram. So there's, you know, I'm a bit of an old fossil when it comes to this sort of thing, as you found out earlier, because I couldn't log on. <laughs> so <laughs> just sweet, but you persevered and got me there eventually. I thought we were going to have to send letters to each other. <laughs> <laughs> But um, no, so yeah, just look out for it on social media and stuff. And they say like it's going to be on television and everything. And it's just, you know, who knows where it's going to go after the first, you know. Um, mm -hmm. you know but yeah, it's, I say I am absolutely lost for words. And and I think I'll be, um, I think I'll be a wreck on Monday when I see it's put in place. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to speak like this on World AIDS Day when it's yeah. Out. I think yeah. I'm a wreck, to be honest. Yeah, understandably. Joy, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. so, you know, thank you so much for, you know, Ainsley for letting me speak on this. And I hope people all find it enlightening and entertaining. Or, you know, oh, God, don't that bloke go on. But yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm passionate about it that's why yeah no definitely and I for one I want to thank you for your time Gary for um for being on Black Wardrobe podcast with me but also I want to thank you just for what seems like your tireless work both in, in art in activism and I think with the memorial you kind of like contributed to like the history of Birmingham um, and like to to its legacy, and like I think like you brought you brought a new, more positive legacy, not just to the city, not just to the queer community, but to um, our HIV activism as well. And like I can't thank you enough for that. Other people can't as well. You make me cry. One... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I could I, I couldn't let the podcast end without saying that. Oh. But yes very kind and you know and like and it, it is so weird because of the word positive when you are positive is such a negative thing mm -hmm. positive the positivity that i am actually getting from people is incredible and mm -hmm. it's just so normal. And, like, and like yeah i'm tearing up now because of what you said but because it, as i say i didn't see it as this great big thing mm -hmm. but it is it is and, absolutely uh, you know, by you saying that and not like Jason saying it and Jonathan saying it, now in more and more people, it's like, oh my God, you know, scary. Yeah. <laughs> good, 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 scary. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, you absolutely pleased yourself. And one last compliment I'll pay you is that, like, um, one of the things, especially for me as like a, a gay man, a queer man, is that I really love to see kind of like um, gay people who are a little bit older, who have lived their lives, who are happy and thriving, and that you're so open and out there is really very inspirational. So I just wanted to say that as well. well. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me on. And if you ever want, you know, if you want me to talk again, maybe afterwards when, you know, it all happened and or whatever, you know, I'm happy to talk anytime. So Absolutely. You. I'm sure the time in the future we can meet in person. <laughs> so, yeah. But if there's nothing else, then I'll say thank you very much, Gary. Thank you. All right. And, and bye to listeners. Talking to you. Thanks again to Gary for joining me on this episode of Black Broadway Podcast. All information on his work, his activism, or the memorial will be in the episode notes wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please remember to like, subscribe 
give it five stars on Spotify or leave a nice review if you listen on that podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Podcast or Twitter at BlackBoardJoyPod. Any questions, any comments, any feedback at all, you can send an email to blackboardjoypodcast.gmail.com. Cheers. <laughs>